So America has two main political parties. And according to the last, year, last year's Gallup poll, uh, Republicans are around 28% of the population. People who say, I'm a Republican, are 28%. The Democrat uh, Party, uh, 28%. So it's, the Gallup poll, basically, it's 28, 28, okay? Now, we have a few minority parties, um, Libertarian Party, the Green Party, but most Americans, the, the, the majority of Americans, if there was one group that they, they say, this is who I am, it's the Independent Party, and it's about 41%. So if you're going to win an election, you can't just win your party. You have to win a good portion of the independents. In Jesus' day, there were political parties. There were four of them. So uh, you might want to write them, write them down. Just uh, it, it's interesting and it's important. You you've heard of a couple of them, and and and, and we'll get to them. First, we have the Zealots. The Zealots were uh, they were Jews who were members of the first century political movement, and they sought to overthrow the occupying Roman government. Simon, one of Jesus' disciples, we think was a Zealot because it was Simon the Zealot. <laughs> so he was part of the Zealots. So that's one political party. Uh, there was another party, in the, the Essenes. Now, you, you may not have heard of the Essenes. And you, if I mention Qumran, Qumran uh, you might have heard of Qumran. That's where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. You say, well, I don't know anything about that. Just think of them as a party that separated themselves from the Jewish community at large and thought they were in their isolated community. They, were, they had, a, they had a, 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 a kind of a lockbox on the truth. They thought they were right. And they separated themselves in these, these areas that were remote. And one of those remote areas was Qumran. And that's where we get the, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Because many of the scrolls we get that help us to uh, kind of get more information about the Old Testament text and the New Testament come from Qumran in that community. But they were, they were like separated from society. Then we have the group that you probably heard about, the Pharisees. And these Jews were the most scholarly group, and they had a, rep, a reputation for them, and they were the most meticulous observers of ancestral laws. They were the ones that constantly were butting heads with Jesus through his ministries, you know. And they were, always were challenging him. You know, by what authority, Jesus? Who, who, who allowed you to be this, uh, this guy that, that does this stuff? The, the, the last group is the Sadducees. And we've heard about the Sadducees. But we don't know much about them. Uh, from the scriptures, uh, we hear, like, little things about them. They, were, they tended to be more wealthy. And they held, held very powerful positions. Including that of the chief priest. They held to the majority of the 70 seats of the ruling council. You've heard of the Sanhedrin. Most of the Sanhedrin were Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees held to just the first five books of the Old Testament, or the Torah, the law, the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They also didn't believe in a resurrection. So those were the four political parties. So the question is, which party did Jesus belong to? None of them. None of them. 
In our passage, though, Jesus is caught up in this tension of two kingdoms. We see this all the way through the New Testament. There's these two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world and there's the kingdom of heaven. And uh, these two, two kingdoms are constantly uh, in conflict. And this weekend, we're going to discover, I hope, how do we, as, because we as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, are called to be citizens of heaven, but also we are called to be good citizens of this earth. And those two kingdoms come in conflict more than, you know, more than we, uh, we understand. So we're going to look at this week, and how do we discover to be better citizens of both heaven and of this world? So we're going to look at how Jesus addressed this, because in the midst of his trial with Pilate, he's going to address these kingdoms. And there's a number of questions we want to look at. So turn in your Bibles, if you will, to, to Mark chapter 15, Mark chapter 15, and let's look at, let's look at this passage. Mark 15, verse 1. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Now this is the first question that Pilate asks. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, are you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate, Pilate was amazed. We'll talk about that in a minute. Now, it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with this one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. They wanted to satisfy, wanting to satisfy the crowd. Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. So there's three important questions that, is, that are asked of Jesus for us to consider this weekend. And the first one is this. What is your political affiliation? That's essentially what Pilate is asking. What party do you belong to? Are you a king? Uh, so when he asks you, are you king of the Jews, he's really asking, are you in any shape or form seeking to be a king, a political leader? Will your movement have any political implications? Are you seeking political power? That's essentially what he's asking Jesus. And Jesus answers, notice what he answers, he says, you have said so. That's a very kind of like, what? What kind of answer is that? It's a non-committal answer. But remember, if you remember last week we talked about when he went before the high, the high priest and he was questioned about before the high priest. And the high priest asked him essentially the same question. 
And he sa- the high priest says to him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? And essentially that's the, the king, the ruler king. And Jesus says, I am. And he says, and Jesus goes on to say, and you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming in the clouds of heaven. So Jesus is absolutely bold here and very clear. And we talked about that last weekend about how he claimed to be God. But before Pilate, he's very quiet. So what's going on? Why is it that he's so quiet before Pilate and barely, you know, not really choosing a side and being very vague, but before the high priest, he was very clear about who he was and what his intentions were? Well, I think Jesus is saying to Pilate, I am a king, but not the kind of king that you're asking about. I'm not a political ruler. I haven't come to overthrow Rome. Jesus is saying to Pilate, I'm not a political leader from one of your categories. Now, there were a number of times where Jesus, where the religious leaders try to get Jesus to uh, commit either against Rome or for Rome, because either way they could get him. Uh, and so one time they, they tried to trick him. And let me read that passage to you. This is Mark chapter 12, uh, verse 14. Then they, they, they say, uh, the religious leaders said, uh, is it right to pay imperial, the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? So it's either or, right? It's black and white. It's right or left. But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. What are you try, why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought him the coin and he asked them, whose image is on this and whose inscription Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God. You see what Jesus is doing is Jesus is separating these two kingdoms. He's basically saying there are two kingdoms. There are two kingdoms. And so here's here's the first application, and I think this is in your notes. In your life and in our society, we should engage politically, but we must not allow political power to become our ultimate hope. If you are a citizen of the United States and you are a resident in this community, you should be a good citizen within this community. But you should not also understand that you have a dual citizenship, that you are a citizen of heaven. And the citizenship of heaven should overrule your citizenship here on earth. Now, that's that's where it gets a little, uh, it's not as clear And we have to make those decisions as we go. But my point is this. Political power will never save us. Political power is never going to change our world. It it doesn't have the capacity to do it. Because there's a part of uh, politics that doesn't address the real problem with this world. The real problem with this world is the human heart. And the human heart has a capacity to sin and a capacity to do terrible things. Now, political power can help to control that, but ultimately, uh, there are two kingdoms here. The second question, we want to look at the second question that uh, Pilate asks, and this gets even more into the details of uh, how we can respond. How will you bring change? How will you bring change? Now, this is very interesting. Pilate asks Jesus, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of? Now, this is a, 
this is a couple things. Number one, it's a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah says uh, in Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers, so he did not open his mouth. In other words, he remained silent. He didn't defend himself. And this is certainly clear of what, what Jesus is doing, right? He's not defending himself. Now, it's interesting to note that Pilate, it says, marveled at Jesus' reply. But why was he amazed? And I think this is important that we stop and just, just reflect on this. The question here is, why was Pilate marveling at what Jesus wasn't doing? In other words, he says, don't you understand what they're doing? They're going to railroad you. You're going to die. They, they, I think Pilate at this point didn't really believe that Jesus was, was guilty of anything which was true, he knows that, he, that Jesus is getting railroaded and he's wondering, why aren't you defending yourself? Why don't you just make a case for yourself? Why are you being so silent? Well, one of it was he was fulfilling scripture, but basically he's saying to, the, to Jesus, they're going to kill you. Don't you see what they're doing? Aren't you going to fight back? As I was reading through this and I was thinking through this, I was reading through a number of commentaries and one of the commentators said something. I think he's on to something. I think he, when he said was, Pilate saw, and he was amazed, he was, he was amazed at the contrast between Jesus and the religious leaders. And here's what he said, and I, thought he, I think he's right. His enemies were using, the, his, Pilate saw the demeanor of Jesus, and he was amazed. How could this man be so calm at his impending doom? On the one hand, he had the religious leaders who were desperate and frantic, seeking any means they could find to kill Jesus. They were afraid he was going to get off. And Jesus, on the other hand, is calm and quiet, not defending himself. And I think that's what amazed Pilate. His enemies were using their power to try to harm Jesus. But Jesus was laying down his power to forgive his accusers. And this is a really, really important thing. You see, Jesus had the power at any moment in his lifetime here on earth to call down the fire of heaven. But he never did. I mean, he had the kill switch, right? He had it at, 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 he, multiple times he could have just destroyed humanity as we know it. He could have called down fire from heaven, but he doesn't. Instead of taking power or even using the power that he had every right to use, he gave up power. His enemies, though, were trying to harm him by taking power. Now, this is very true. We see revolutions today. Revolutions are all about when people come together and they seek to take power. But Jesus brought a revolution. How did Jesus' revolution come? It came by giving up power. God gave up his throne. Jesus gave up his throne. And then he gave up his life. He gave up his power to start a revolution. Every other, every other revolution is trying to gain power, political power. Military power. Jesus started a revolution by laying down his life and by loving his enemies, by serving those 
who are seeking to kill him. And this revolution started, was started by Jesus as he continued and is continued by the church today. Um, this is really important for Christians to hear today. Because sometimes I see Christians getting caught up with this trying to grab power and political power. And, and in reality, the power of the kingdom of God comes not when we try to grab power. It's when we give power up. That's why when you read the Sermon on the Mount, it's puzzling to Christians. You, you, you know the part I'm talking about where Jesus says, if somebody slaps you in the face, give them the other cheek. Somebody asks, you know, takes your shoes, give them your coat. What is he doing there? What does Jesus say to you? He says, my kingdom isn't by grabbing power, it's by giving power up. My, my transformation of our culture isn't going to come when we grab for ourselves. It's when we give up power, when we serve. We're not called to bring change through power. We bring change and transformation and revolution by giving up power, by serving the needy, by serving our enemies. That's why Jesus says, don't just love your friends, love your enemies. It's a radical idea. Who loves your enemies? You're supposed to hate your enemies. You're supposed to try to grab power from your enemies. The last thing you're supposed to do is serve your enemies. What was the thing that Jesus said from the cross? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Here's the application. We will change our world not by taking and applying political power, but by loving our enemies and serving the hurting. And as we go through this crisis, we are going to shine our light not by grabbing things for ourselves, but by cautiously and caringly loving those around us. Even people that we don't like. Third question, here it is. How will you become our Savior? Pilate asked the crowd, well, what should I do with this one that you call the king of the Jews? I think at this point, Pilate really wanted to let Jesus go. I mean, he, he saw that Jesus was innocent. But the religious leaders and the crowd would have none of it. Instead, they cried out, free Barabbas, a man who was guilty of murder. Pilate asked the crowd, what, what, what has this man done? And the crowd won't even answer back. They, they, they're being led on by the religious leaders and the high priest. Crucify him, crucify him. They just wanted him dead. They didn't want to talk anymore. And here's what we have. We have a picture. We have a picture of substitution, right? Barabbas for Jesus. Or Jesus for Barabbas. The innocent Jesus for the guilty Barabbas. The innocent one would be punished for the guilty one. Do you remember when Jesus uh, breathed his final breath? And one of the gospel accounts basically says that the, 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 the uh, guard over the cross basically said, surely this was an innocent man. Right? See, when Pilate gave orders to nail Jesus... To a Roman cross, it was far more than the execution of a political radical. Jesus was God's answer to our human dilemma. 
on the cross, Jesus bore our sins on his body. And, and in this story, we're to not to identify with Pilate or the religious leaders. We're to identify with Barabbas. We're to realize that really it's us, Barabbas. We are Barabbas. He was liberating us. He was liberating me from my sins. He shed his blood to cleanse me. He set me free. Because he died, I now live. Because he gave up power, I have been forgiven. That's the picture that Jesus gives here. That's, that's what's happening here. That's the exchange is taking on. We are Barabbas. We are guilty of death. But Jesus became our substitute. Now, in theology, we call this a substitutionary atonement. That Jesus took our sins, he took our, our, our rebellion, and he took our place on the cross. And he suffered what we should have suffered. He took the punishment we should have gotten. He was put to death instead of us. He took our place. That's the substitutionary atonement. We believe in the substitutionary atonement. It's taught in the scriptures. And that's why Jesus didn't make a case and try to get out of the cross because he knew that God had to become man and as a man he had to suffer like we do and he had to suffer for our sins and shed his blood for our sins and die in our place and give his life so that we could live. You can't save yourself. Uh, we grow up in traditions where we're taught, just do this, follow these rules, whatever church tradition or family tradition, and we follow it. We say, well, I'll just follow these rules. I'll just, I'll just do this. And, and when we look at this story and we understand what Jesus is doing, we realize that we need a Savior, that we are sinners in desperate need, and unless the Savior comes and saves us from our sins, we're dead. He became the substitute that we desperately needed. We are Barabbas, and if Jesus isn't in there, we're dead. Because we're the guilty ones, not him. Our biggest problem can't be fixed with a political solution. We need somebody to take our place. We need a savior substitute. And this substitute can only be Jesus. My question to you is, do you know him? Do you know Jesus is your Savior? St. Augustine wrote the city of God to remind believers in the world there's always two cities, two alternate kingdoms. One city is man-made where human society selfishly seeks to gain power. The other is a heavenly city. It's not based upon taking power, but giving power up in order to serve. And here's the, here's the rub for Christians. Christians are called to live in both worlds at the same time. We are citizens of both kingdoms, the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven at the same time. We are citizens here, but we are also citizens of heaven at the same time. And this can cause conflict and tension. But the kingdom of God is a permanent kingdom. And Jesus said the kingdom of this world is passing away. And here's what I found. Maybe you have too. A lot of Christians are living for this world and this kingdom. With no sight at all. With no thought of all. There's citizenship in heaven. And your citizenship in heaven ought to have an absolute impact on your citizenship here on earth. 
There's no political leader, there's no political party that will ever save us. Jesus did not affiliate with political parties. Jesus did not try to grab power to bring change. What Jesus did was he understood that he was sent from God to save a fallen, rebellious world. And that the power, the change would come, the revolution would come, not as he tried to grab power, but as he gave power up. Philippians 2 is the the quintessential summary of that, uh, where it says, to pattern your life like Jesus Christ, who, though being God, became a man and humbled himself to the point of death. So where are you at? It's interesting to me that we have such a debate about politics in the Christian church. The Democrats are right, the Republicans are right, the Independents are right, Green Party's right, Libertarian Party's right. And I think that's a discussion to have sometime, I guess. But I think we're called to be citizens of heaven and our, our membership in the kingdom of God has incredible implications for how we look at other other people how we treat other people that's why that's why i think sometimes when we read some of those passages where jesus says turn the other cheek forgive your enemy uh you know serve your serve people who are you know doing harm to you uh we look at that we go "Uh, how in the world does that make any sense well it doesn't if you're just going by the rules of this world and this kingdom But if you're looking at his kingdom and you look at how he lived his life and if you look at how he gave up power to bring transformation, it makes an all lot of sense. In other words, what I'm suggesting is that we we don't behave as though we're citizens of heaven and ambassadors for Christ as much as we act as though we're citizens of earth. And when those two come into conflict, maybe that's the problem. They're not coming into conflict. Right? They should. They should. So frankly, it really isn't super important whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or an Independent. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a citizen of heaven and you are an ambassador for Christ. And that takes preeminence over every other party affiliation you have. May God help us to be good citizens of heaven. Because that will make us great citizens of earth. Let's pray. Father, help us. Because without your help, we can't do this. Help us to learn from Jesus. Who didn't join Party, the parties of his day who saw the distinction between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth who brought a transformation and brought, brought a revolution not by taking power but by giving power up that's hard for us to hear and it's hard for us to implement help us to be good citizens of heaven ambassadors for Christ and help that drive uh, our, our thoughts and our minds as we move through this world. 
especially when those two kingdoms come into conflict. As they will this fall. <laughs> help it drive us. Help it, help, it, help it cause us to be mindful and thoughtful. Gracious and loving and forgiving. And thank you, Father, that Jesus willingly took our place. For we are Barabbas. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.